you know, as Jesus said, the kingdom belongs to such as these. So it's a good noise, it's a good reminder for all of us to come to him as little ones in need, in need of him. Um, so uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, I wasn't really planning on this, but um, I, I have these dreams from time to time, um, especially when I'm feeling very unprepared. I have these crazy dreams where I'll come to church and, and everything, I think I've shared some of them before, where like everything is going wrong and, and, uh, and it, it just kind of like reveals how like helpless and stressed out I feel about, you know, feeling like everything depends on how I do, you know? And uh, some, some weeks I feel like as I'm working on the sermon, it's like, oh, this is going to be awful. I, I just, it's going to be so bad, you know. But, but this week, I felt a little more confident. Um, I was feeling a little better about my sermon today than normal. But then I, I woke up in the middle, of light, middle of the night last night with one of these dreams where I came and I was standing up here trying to get like a, my mic on, trying to turn my mic on. It was like nothing was working. And I ended up with like this giant stuffed animal strapped with a mic on it, like in front of me that wasn't really working properly. And uh, I woke up and I, and, you know, I, I realized, you know, I, uh, what we're doing here, it's so easy for us to kind of come and think that this is just like a very natural kind of like, I'm here to kind of get some insight, some wisdom, but what we are doing here is something that we should expect is supernatural. We need God to speak to us. Okay, that's why we are here. And I hope that is what your expectation is as we come to God's word. Um, Psalm 51 is what we're looking at this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 51. And uh, it, uh, unlike um, some of the other Psalms we looked at, this Psalm was written in very specific circumstances. It was written by David, and it was written after he had committed arguably some of the worst sins that anybody committed in the Old Testament, maybe in the entire Bible that we know of, any of the heroes of the Bible. Um, he, David was an absolute mess. Um, he had just committed, at the very least, committed adultery with Bathsheba, um, potentially using her and abusing her, really, because of his power. And, and then, in order to cover it up after she got pregnant, he ordered that one of his close friends be murdered, kind of like a crime boss. Um, and... That's awful, right? And, and, and after this, um, it's a sin against Bathsheba. It's a sin against Uriah, her husband. It's a sin against the nation of Israel as their king. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and calls him out and exposes his sin. And I would say that being a Christian is not about pe- being people who don't sin, being a Christian is about how we respond when we're confronted with our sin. That's what being a Christian is about. And, and this psalm is about how David responds to being confronted with his own sin. So listen to God's word as I read from Psalm 51. You can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along in your order of worship. It's printed there as well. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that you would speak to each and every one of us. That your spirit would work mightily to open our eyes, to reveal to us who you are, to reveal to us who we are, and to reveal to us your grace, your steadfast love that is sufficient. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have, I think we all have different disappointments in our lives, from our childhood especially, that are hard to think about, to remember, and to get over. Um, and the, I was given a little bit of a window into one of Kim's disappointments. I, she gave me permission to share this with you. When she was uh, five or six years old, what she wanted more than anything in life was this little doll called Baby Alive. I don't know if anybody who lived in the 70s and the 80s remember the Baby Alive, but the Baby Alive was this little doll that you could mix up her food and you could fill up a little bottle and then you, know, you put batteries in her and you, you pushed her lip and then she would like eat food. Like you could put a bottle in her mouth and she would like suck on the bottle and it would go into her stomach and then you'd have to change her diaper later and you could, you could mix her food and you'd feed her and, and this is all she wanted. Her little five-year-old heart, you know. All she wanted, she was desperate to have a baby alive. And so her parents, one Christmas, that, that Christmas that year, bought it for her. And she opened it up, and she was ecstatic. She was so excited. And so she immediately, like after, you know, they, they, they opened all the presents, she got the baby alive out of the box, and, and her parents put the batteries in, and, and she mixed up the food, and she goes to feed little baby alive. And baby alive didn't work. She's like jamming the food, you know, pressing on the mouth. that Nothing is happening this, this new baby alive is broken and does not work. It's broken. And, she's, and, and her little heart is broken as a result. And, 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 and then she, you know, she, her parents are like, it's okay, it's okay, we'll get you a new one. So they, they take it back to the store. And, and baby alive is so popular that you cannot find baby alive anywhere. And so they're left. All they're left with is a broken baby alive. What is that worth? If you really want to get Kim going after the service, she's still bitter. You can ask her about it. <laughs> You really get her going. I, I mentioned it again yesterday, like last night, and she was like, 
Yeah, she was really had a hard time getting to sleep after that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, what is a broken toy worth to anyone, you know? We don't have time for broken stuff in our lives. It's worthless. It's disappointing. I mean, even especially today, as, as things are made more and more cheaply, you know, things, things break and we often just throw them out. We, we just buy new things. Sometimes a company will send you something and you call them, you'll be like, it's broken. They're like, don't even bother sending it to us. We'll just send you another one. You know, broken stuff is worthless to us. But as you read Psalm 51, what you realize at the heart of Psalm 51 is that God delights in broken stuff. Look at Psalm 51, verse 17. It says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I think it's very tempting for us to think that as we come to God, what we need to bring him is a life that is put together, a life that is shiny and strong, a life that is, is really trying and functioning well to do good in the world, and then, then God will accept us. But the reality is, Psalm 51 says, what God wants us to bring him is our broken selves. A spirit that is broken. A broken and contrite heart. That's what God really delights in. That's what he wants and this is what I think this entire psalm is about. It's about David after being exposed for his sin, how he has broken his life, how he has broken his relationship with God, how he has broken other people's lives. David coming and realizing that his relationship with God is at its healthiest when he's offering his broken self to God instead of his strong, successful self. And so... I want to look at what, what does the broken spirit really look like? What characterizes the broken spirit as we read this psalm? And I see three things. The first thing that I see is that the broken spirit weeps. The broken spirit weeps. It grieves. When something breaks, it's normal for us to be disappointed, to be sad, even to, to cry about it, especially when you're a kid, right? It's normal. It's right for a kid to cry because their favorite toy has broken, isn't it? I, I, when I was uh, in high school and I just got my driver's license, a friend of mine and I went over and visited another friend, and their whole family was out in their yard, and, and we had pulled up and parked at the, at, on, in the street at the curb, and, and we were hanging out with them on their, on their, on their grassy lawn, talking with them, and, uh, and, and we went to leave, and, and there's a big family with, you know, our, our friend was in high school, but they had little siblings, you know, brothers and sisters that were small. And, uh, and so I got back in the car to leave, and my friend was like kind of like, you know, making fun of me because I, you know, I just got my license. I was like holding my hands at 10 and 2 with my knuckles were like white. And he's like, dude, you need to relax. You need to, you know, you look so stiff, you know. And, and so I'm like, okay, it's trying to be cool, you know. So, so I, I like, you know, drop my hands to the bottom of the steering wheel and I, and I start like slowly pulling away. And as, as I'm pulling away, slowly, responsibly pulling away, okay, um, I see out of my peripheral vision, the whole family start running to the car in alarm. And I, I've gone like, one foot, two feet, before I realize the car, there's this crunching sound. And one of the little kids had parked his little remote control car right there in the street in front of my tire, and I ran that thing over and just crushed it. I obliterated that thing. Like, it was flat as a pancake. It was, you know, you couldn't even recognize it after I drove over that thing. But I stopped, and the kid's just, like, crying. 
And I got out of the car, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. The parents are like, it's okay, you really shouldn't have parked it in the street, you know. But, but I got back in the car, and I drive away, and I, I, my, my you know, last image is of just this kid's st- tears streaming down this little child's face because this thing that they had loved was broken. You know, their, their toy was broken. And I think that's, that's right, you know. It's, it's right to grieve, over something that is broken. Because when we cry, when we grieve over broken things, we're, we're acknowledging the reality of what has just happened. We're acknowledging the reality of what has just happened. And, and David doesn't talk about crying here, but he absolutely recognizes the reality of the brokenness of his life. And most specifically, he recognizes the reality of his sin and the way that it has broken his life. Just, and, and as I look at the way that he looks at his sin, and, and basically in, in verses uh, 3 through 6, as David looks at his sin in verses 3 through 6, and I compare it to the way that I interact with my sin, there's a difference here. And I just want to just quickly compare. How does, how does the way that I often look at my sin and treat my sin differ from the way that David does? David's broken spirit looks at his sin. Well, first of all, um, we, often, we often ignore our sin. We don't really pay much attention to our sin. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about how we are failing to live as we should, how we are failing to love people around us, people that are close to us, people that are strangers, people that we work with. We don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. We aren't very honest about it. We don't spend much time being open with ourselves, being open with God except a lot of us, in, when, you know, we force ourselves to when we come to worship and we do the confession of sin. Other than that, I don't know how much we often really spend being honest with God about our sin. But look at verse six. David says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What, what David is highlighting is, the, is that God, what God wants from us is transparency. What God wants from us is to be vulnerable with him, to be open about our sin instead of just bearing it, instead of covering it, instead of hiding it, instead of ignoring it, instead of running from it. He desires truth in the inward being. He desires transparency. Um, Another way you might compare the way that we look at sin is I I think one of the knee-jerk reactions to my sin is uh, almost always to blame it on somebody else or to blame it on my circumstances. Do you ever find yourself doing that, you know? When you, uh, when you lose your temper, when you yell at somebody and you're like, well, I wouldn't have done that if they weren't being so annoying. You know, I wouldn't have lost my patience if they weren't being so slow, if they weren't dragging their feet. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have blown up except that I, I was exhausted, you know. I spent a long day. I didn't get very much sleep, right? And so we're, we're quick to kind of blame our own bad behavior on other people, or on our circumstances. And yet in verse 3, David says this, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He takes ownership for his sin. He's not trying to pawn it off on anyone else. The broken spirit takes ownership for his sin. It's, It's ever before us. We also like to excuse our sin by insisting that our failure doesn't really reflect the real me. Have you ever heard anybody say that or have you ever said that yourself? You know, I know I, 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 that was really bad behavior, but, that, but I'm really actually a good person at heart. That's not really me. 
Or, you know, maybe you've said something cruel to somebody else, and you're like, well, I didn't really mean what I said. You know, it's, it's very possible we, we know that, that what we said isn't true, but I think everything that we say, we actually mean to do the damage we do with it. And it actually reflects the real us. What does David say in verse five? He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. What he's saying there, he's not blaming his mom for his sin. What he's saying there is that, you know, this sin that, that, that has just been exposed, this, this hideousness, the way he's, he's behaved, it's not just like a one-time thing. It, it's not, it's like at, at heart, David, he's not saying like, at heart, what I really am is, is a man after God's heart. No, he's saying, in my entire life, even from the very moment I began existing, this is who I am. I'm a sinner at heart. I'm a rebel at heart. Lastly, I think we can tend to believe that our sin is not really that big of a deal. Um, we're like, you know, I'm not really hurting anybody else. Nobody else, you know, noticed what I did there or saw what I did there. Or, you know, I, we compare ourselves to other people and we're like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. It's not that big of a deal. And David says in verse four, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David has a very serious understanding that his sin, he's not saying that he hasn't sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, and the nation of Israel, but he understands that his sin is serious and ultimately it's against God himself. That all of his behavior is a reflection of how he views God and how he treats God and how he loves God. He understands the gravity of all of his sin. It's way more serious than any of us would like to to say or to think. That's what the broken spirit does. The broken spirit recognizes the seriousness of our sin. The broken spirit doesn't try to hide or cover our sin. The broken spirit is honest and transparent. The broken spirit takes ownership for our sin. The broken spirit weeps, grieves over what we've done, over who we are. But secondly, the broken spirit also longs. The broken spirit longs. Things that are broken cannot function, right, as they should. Things that are broken, like that that car that I drove over and obliterated, that car's not going to work anymore the way it should. And so when something breaks in our lives, the natural inclination is to long for it to be what it should be, to long for it to be fixed. Our kids uh, had these kites uh, last year, these, these you know, cheap kites from Walmart, you know, this, this thin plastic with these plastic rods that brace it and you know, have a picture of Spider-Man on it. And they loved just running around the backyard with those kites, just like flying them in the air. And one of the kids got there, was caught in a tree and then they pulled it down and, and it, it kind of, like one of the, the braces like snapped and he immediately, what does he do? He comes to me. He's like, Dad, can you fix this? Can you fix this? You've got to fix this. And he doesn't leave me alone. Please fix this. He just longs for it to be made whole, right? And so I get it, and I put some tape on the thing, and then I go to insert the, the, the plastic rod back into the little place where the kite holds it, and I realize there's this giant gash in this thin plastic. I'm like, buddy, that's broken. I'm not a miracle worker. That's not going to be fixed. And he's like, no, come on, you can fix it, you can fix it, please. He just wants it to be fixed. He longs for it to be fixed. That's what the broken spirit does. The broken spirit longs. 
for life to function as it should. And in this psalm, we see David's brokenness in his longing to be restored, in his longing to be made new, in his longing to be fixed, right? He says all of these things. He's crying out for God to do things, to create in him a clean heart, to renew a right spirit in him, to to hide his face from his sins, to to let him hear joy and gladness, to to wash him, to have mercy on him. He's, He's crying out to God so many things. God, please restore me. Fix in me what is broken. Fix what I have broken. David is longing for God to fix him. David is longing for his life to function as it should. And as he longs for God to fix all sorts of things, what he shows us is what we all need to function properly. We can understand what we need to function properly by looking at the things that he longs for. Does that make sense? And so I'm going to go through a few of these things, okay? Number one, he longs for forgiveness. Number one, right? He longs for God to wash away his sin. He longs for God to have mercy on him. He longs for God to blot out his transgressions. All of these are are for God to hide his face from his sin. All of these things are ways of of David saying, please forgive me. Take away my shame. Take away my guilt. That is what David longs for. And in doing that, what it shows us is what we all need. We all need, every single one of us, we all need God to take away our shame. We need God to take away our guilt. Every single one of us, whether you acknowledge your sin or not, what you're doing is you are living your life deep down with a constant sense of guilt and shame that you have to do something about. You have to do something about it. Whether you realize it or not, you have to do something about it. Some of us, we just kind of feel sorry for ourselves. or We look down on ourselves. We have a horrible self-esteem. We hate ourselves, right? Some of us, we try to medicate ourselves to help ourselves feel better to deal with the sense of shame. A lot of us try to justify ourselves. We try to make up for the shame in our own strength by becoming really successful, by, by achieving great things, by doing a lot of things, by becoming really busy, there's a great line from the movie Chariots of Fire, if you've seen that movie about Eric Little, the, the, the Scottish runner, but there, there's another runner in that movie, a, a main character named Harold Abrams, who's a 100-meter sprinter, and there's one moment in the movie where he's like just kind of depressed, and he's talking to this person, and, he, and he's like, I look up that corridor that's four feet wide, and I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. And I think that's the way a lot of us live our lives, trying to justify our existence, trying to remove our shame by proving to others, by proving to ourselves that we're worth something, that we're lovable. What we need is someone to remove that shame. What we need is someone to forgive us and to tell us that we are loved. Another thing that David longs for is joy. David longs for joy. He longs for gladness, right? He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let me hear joy and gladness in verse 8. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. We were meant to laugh. We were meant to enjoy life. We weren't meant to just live life looking at it only through tear-filled eyes. I know that there's a lot of stuff to cry about in life, but we were meant 
to experience laughter, to experience joy. And so David longs for it. He longs for it. David longs for a willing spirit, right? In verse 12, uphold me with a willing spirit. David longs for the desire to do the will of God, to obey God, to love God as he should, to love other people as he should, to bless them, to help them. That is what we are created for, to live lives that are obedient to God, that are in sync with God's will, that bless other people. And David longs at the deepest level for God himself. He longs at the deepest level for God himself. In verse 11, he says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. The most painful aspect of David's brokenness is a feeling of distance from God. It's a feeling of distance from God, a feeling of of, of, an, an awareness of the fact that his relationship with God has been broken. We were meant to live with an intimate connection to the living God. That's what we were created for. That's what we were meant to live with. That's how we will function properly. Living life touched by the supernatural presence and power of the Spirit of God. That's how we will function properly. That's what we were meant for. We were meant to be aware of the closeness of the Spirit of God, the reality of the Spirit of God in His presence in our lives, interacting with the Spirit of God. The broken spirit longs for these things. The broken spirit cries out for these things, cries out for forgiveness, cries out for for joy, cries out for a willingness to be obedient, a life that matters, cries out for God himself. The good news is that unlike me, who can't put a simple kite back together, God is a miracle worker, and he can give us all of these things. God has given us all of these things. That is why Jesus came. Jesus came to take away our shame. He came to live and to die on the cross to pay for our sin, to pour out God's mercy upon us. He came to die on the cross, taking upon himself the judgment of God so that God would turn his face away from our sin. And so it's through Jesus that we can hear God say, you are forgiven, you are loved. You are significant. It's through Jesus and his work that, that, that we experience the spirit of God poured out upon us. It's through Jesus, the way that he loves us in surprising ways that we actually learn to appreciate the beauty of life and we actually learn to laugh in life as he loves us unexpectedly in unexpected ways. It's through Jesus, the work of the Spirit that he gives to us, that that enables us to obey and live live lives that, that, that are in sync with what God wants, that actually bless others and make others' lives better. There's no other way for us to experience these things. There's no other way for our lives to be repaired and to function as they should than through Jesus and what he has done. And so the broken spirit weeps, the broken spirit longs, and lastly, the broken spirit sings. And I'll I'll do this quickly. Look at verses 13 to 15. It says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. 
Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. As David anticipates the work of God to heal him and to be poured out upon him, as he anticipates the work of the Spirit of God in his life, what does that make him want to do? It makes him want to share with other people. It makes him want to teach others what God has done for him, right? He wants to teach others about God's ways with him, about God's mercy, about God's loving kindness, his steadfast love, his grace. That's what he wants to do. What does he want to do? He wants to sing aloud of God's righteousness. The broken spirit is a spirit that loves to be vocal about how God has met us and poured out his grace upon us. And encourage others to do the same. He says in verses 15 and 16, it says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. He's saying God doesn't want, you know, our our tendency, our our instinct is to say, okay, in order to get God to be on my side, in order to get God to love me, what I need to do is to offer him something impressive. But what does God want? God wants me to sing of his mercy. God wants me to make music about his glory and beauty and what he has done to love me. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He doesn't want big, impressive gifts of perfect obedience and lives lived to perfection. What he wants is lives that are loud about how gracious he is and how merciful he is. Lives that that love to make music, no matter how broken we are. Um, There's this musician from Australia named Tom Ward. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he he became well-known on social media, at least because he was on Australia's Got Talent. You know, America's Got Talent. There's an Australian version. And uh, this guy's an amazing guitarist. He's, He's like a virtuoso. If you look him up on uh, YouTube, you can watch some of his, he just, what he loves to do is he loves to go out on the street and just play for people. Not necessarily looking for money, but just he loves to entertain people because he is so good. And, uh, and there's some videos of him. He goes out on the street and he pulls out this guitar and he has this guitar that looks like an absolute mess. It looks like somebody's taken the guitar and just like banged it on the ground a few times. And it's, it's like the, the face of the guitar is like has all these holes in it. And you can kind of see the bracing and you can see inside the guitar. And it's like there's splinters coming off of it. And it just looks like how is anybody going to get any music out of this thing? And he pulls it out and he plugs it in and then he starts to play like all of his fingers at the same time. And it's like amazing. It's incredible how beautiful it is. And you realize it's not about the guitar. It's, the, it's about the beauty of the virtuoso that's playing it. And I think that's what we have a picture of here, of the broken spirit. You know, it, it's it, realizing it's not about me. It's about what God has done. Who God is and what he has done through Jesus to pour out his mercy upon me. That's what he wants. Broken spirits who make incredibly beautiful music. Music that reflects his his grace. 
And so that's, uh, that's what he invites us to do this morning, to come to Jesus in the midst of our brokenness and our need and to sing of how he's met us. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would open our eyes that we would understand what it means to have a healthy relationship with you, that, that we would understand what it means to, to bring our broken selves to you with our sin, with our shame, and, and to be met by your grace, which is absolutely sufficient. It's enough for us. Jesus, we thank you for coming, for living, for dying, for rising. We pray that you would help us to respond with the music of the gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We, uh, we now have an opportunity to meet Jesus at the Lord's table and um, to celebrate what he has done for us at the cross. And uh, in order to prepare our hearts to do this, we're, we're going to acknowledge the reality of our sin with the prayer of confession that's printed in your order of worship. We'll pray that out loud together and then we'll have a silent.